Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about the energy industry from Alpha Energy Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer at Alpha, and I'm joined by my colleague Jason Durden, Head of Energy Markets and Risk Management, for a catch-up on what's been going on in the markets um, and with uh, commodity trading elsewhere. Jason, what's the outlook at the moment? Very interesting, Jeremy, Uh, as always, I suppose. We've seen a bit of a divergence in uh, direction in the complex. We're seeing uh, oil is uh, attracting a lot of interest on the back of uh, events in the uh, COVID vaccine development. And uh, we're seeing some structural changes there to uh, the the positions of funds and, and, and various pension investors there, which is supporting prices. We've got an OPEC meeting, which is um, probably going to hang back on increased production in the first quarter of next year because of the uh, you know winter restrictions. So generally, a, a sort of a, an upbeat and bullish uh, feel to oil, but actually sort of um, a return to fundamentals in gas, perhaps. You know, gas prices in both Asia, Europe, and the US in the last sort of two weeks since we've spoken have um, have taken a bit of a leg down. And are uh, certain contracts looking relatively close to the the lows of the summer? Maybe not quite on the spot as you'd expect for the winter, but some of the uh, shorter um, seasonal contracts through 21, particularly the summer, revisiting some you know quite attractive levels. Well, I guess that's good news for the consumers in the short term. What is actually happening in terms of the expectations of demand recovery um, after the COVID crisis? I say after, uh, in anticipation that we are uh, uh, at least looking towards the end of it um, with the vaccine developments and so on. Presumably, this is adding to to uh, the buoyant feeling in the markets at the moment. So, if we look at the um, if we look at oil and carbon uh, and the the markets that kind of are um, macro asset class rather necessarily than sort of uh, energy specific that attracts you know global investment um, they're certainly looking forward to sort of certainly q2 and beyond 21 and there being a recovery and normalization of demand and that's obviously shaping people people's interpretation of value but in terms of gas, you know, on the shorter side, we're looking like a, uh, a slightly less aggressive winter demand across uh, three continents. In fact, we've had uh, warmer weather forecasts for Asia, for Europe and for uh, the US in the last couple of weeks uh, on, on sort of medium term outlooks. Uh, and we've also seen some pretty good uh, supply, um, specifically LNG um, coming out of the uh, US. And on that basis, we've kind of seen um, that depressing prices, certainly through Q1 uh, and also through the summer of next year. So, as I say, those things that are looking to the more uh, macro investment long term seem to be moving into a slightly more bullish phase, um, whereas those more immediate delivered or deliverable commodities uh, such as gas are, are just feeling a little bit of pressure from some fairly downgraded demand scenarios and also some robust supply. 
Right. And, and looking at the sort of political dimension of this, obviously, we've uh, recently seen the result of the American election. And I think despite some public bluster, things seem to be moving towards a, uh, a relatively uh, smooth transition to the new presidency when it takes over in the new year, which I guess is a, a reassurance to the markets. And also, um, you know, something highly relevant to oil, but potentially to all energy markets, the sort of uh, uh, improvement in relations between Israel and some of the Gulf states. Do you think that's helpful as far as the international oil markets are concerned? Any sort of entente amongst uh, Middle East states is good, but uh, just ahead of that next week's OPEC meeting, we've got uh, Yemeni Houthis attacking infrastructure in um, in Saudi Arabia over the last couple of days. So I suspect um, that will ebb and flow as it ever has done, Jeremy. I fear you may be right. I mean, part of the common cause there is common concern about Iran. So we'll see how all that plays out. But closer to home, just thinking about the end of the transition period for the UK, having left the EU, uh, there have been one or two scare stories maybe in the, in the press about uh, potential threats to energy supplies. Not, I hasten to add, in the technical energy press. What's your views about that? Anything to worry about there? I'm obviously, a, a trade deal will be beneficial to both sides for other reasons. But is there any reason to fear that gas and power won't continue to flow over the interconnectors? No, is the short answer to that. I think um, a lot of uh, the infrastructure uh, predates uh, some of the more more recent EU developments and uh, it's quite frankly very lucrative for the uh, French to sell us power at a uh, significant premium over their domestic markets. So I suspect that uh, the market will out even if the uh, regulation makes it a little more difficult. I think the, uh, the the risk there continues to be what happens to sterling in the event of a no deal. And I think the markets seem to be ever closer to accepting that uh, perhaps the mood music has changed slightly and that some sort of deal will be delivered on before the end of the year. Possibly quite a thin one in certain terms with with other aspects to follow, I would imagine. But uh, let's see. I'm sure we'll touch on that next time we meet to discuss this. Sort of thinking rather longer ahead for the, for the UK. I mean, of course, there are some major projects involving uh, French investment, uh, not least the new PWR reactor being built at, at Hinkley. And there's been other news, I gather, at Hinkley as well about the existing power station. Um, should we be concerned about that in terms of nuclear availability over the next year or two? Not necessarily. I think it's uh, the medium term has undermined that some of the reactors that have had been offline for a while with, with reported issues, we can expect to see their retirement accelerated and Hinkley B has been brought forward to uh, 2022. But certainly if, if Hinkley C continues to uh, push on and uh, EDF are involved in uh, re- a development of new projects at Sizewell of, of uh, you know the similar sort of scale, then I don't think there's necessarily a medium-term impact because we will be, uh, you know, a natural way of refreshing the fleet, I suppose. And, you know, some of these older ones that are running into a few issues now are, are, are reaching the end of their life. 
Indeed, and there must be a practical limit to the extent to which that could have been ever been extended uh, much beyond what was originally intended. And of course, we're going to be seeing an awful lot of new capacity added to the UK market and presumably elsewhere in Europe as a result of the green agenda. Not all of it firm and dispatchable, to use the, the jargon, and most of it intermittent, but nonetheless, a huge amount of generating capacity from offshore and onshore wind being brought into the uh, contracts for difference pots that the government are proposing for the next auction round and so on. Presumably, this is going this is going to be pretty transformative over the next few years for the UK market, in line perhaps with the, the uh, Prime Minister's rather ambitious statements, his 10-point plan for decarbonisation mentioned last week. Uh, so uh, I guess there's going to be some more news about that in, in the weeks and months ahead. Well, one would think so, Jeremy. I mean, the, uh, the you addressed right at the beginning the uh, the issue of uh, being able to store and dispatch energy uh, effectively is uh, something that perhaps at the moment is kind of a little bit missing from uh, these grand plans. But uh, you can t- certainly see the uh, the uh, direction of travel, and broadly speaking, you know certainly towards the 2050 targets etc is uh is obviously the way of things but you know there seems to be a little um perhaps a lag at the moment in terms of how we are able to have uh, dispatchable power and um you know able to cope with the sort of volatility that uh, very uh, intermittent markets will uh, uh, or generation capability w- w- will embed within the market structure itself so lots of challenges and lots of uh, lots of new things to consider as we move forward but um, you know that's what keeps it fresh and interesting i suppose I guess so. Perhaps too interesting for some, but equally there are some opportunities there. We shouldn't just be negative about this for consumers. If you have flexibility in your demand, if you're a business user that can capitalize on that, uh, making use of off-peak electricity and so on and doing deals through your suppliers and others, uh, there's an opportunity to get the average cost of your your energy down. And one would would imagine with a lot more intermittent uh, power generation on the system, those opportunities should increase for business users who've got that flexibility in the future. Would that be a kind of logical um, assumption do you think yeah absolutely i mean these things will you know uh, will, will change the established uh, order and the way of doing things they will bring new challenges but they will also bring huge opportunities there's no question about that but if you are replacing as you said dispatchable energy that can be turned on and off um, relatively quickly very quickly in the case of uh, you know gas and, and relatively quickly for for, for outgoing coal then you know what do you do when you have uh, uh, you're replacing it with um, w- with by definition predominantly renewables that uh, aren't as predictable uh, as constant as the infrastructure they're replacing. Indeed, but of course, one of the means of uh, managing that is greater interconnection from adjacent markets. And I gather there's going to be some news, or we're hoping there to be some news about um, the UK's latest interconnector to France, um, which I think is is currently testing. Is that right? Yes, correct, Jeremy. So the uh, the IFA two uh, connection with France is uh, now in testing phase and. It's envisaged that uh, perhaps by the end of the year it will start doing commercial operations. So it's another gigawatt of uh, uh, interconnectivity between uh, the French market and uh, the UK. Um, And that certainly brings uh, additional flexibility. 
Well, well, quite. I mean, it's, it, some people might say it's good news for traders, but of course it's good news for consumers too, in the sense that, okay, the power can trade in either direction uh, and might push our power prices up or down depending on the circumstances, uh, but it does provide um, flexibility and hence security as well. Um, and I guess that's a, that's a positive thing for the future. Well, on that uh, characteristically positive note for this year, I think, uh, Jason, thank you very much. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see um, how things develop on the, the tail end, we hope, of um, a positive discussions between the UK and the EU on trade uh, and other matters uh, over the next couple of weeks. Well, if you found that interesting and would like to find out more, uh, please do visit our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK, and do join us again for a podcast soon. <laughs>